All right, welcome to Teaching Others Also. And this is going to be number three of our series on soul health. We'll turn, direct your attention to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Now, we could we could preach this in, in an exhorting manner, you know, and try to kind of, you know, challenge and all that. I, I haven't chosen to do that. Um, it might have been preferable or more uh, easier on me to do it. But rather, I'm trying to put this stuff forth as a, an effort to help people long-term and to help people where we live. You know, it's, it's one thing to endure hardness as a good soldier, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we ought to. Uh, it's one thing, for example, to have, you know, you, we've got physical issues many times in life. As you creep up like many of us are on 70 years old, you, it, it gets a little tougher sometimes. And uh, the body gives you a little bit more, you know. The outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. However, there is a greater battle that goes on within us. So I have chosen this uh, subject of soul health, and uh, we're putting it into recording form after having delivered it to people directly and, and seen that it really has helped them on a daily basis. Now, so... For us, for this study, Psalm 42 is the foundation passage we're using, and it, it's illustrating, it's illustrating what we experience as a believer. Let me say this, please. Get this. Everybody experiences this. We're going to talk about how you experience it as a believer. I understand that when we're lost, we are dead, and our and that we were dead when we were lost, and now, of course, we're alive, and our life is hid with Christ and God, but we were dead. So a lost person is dead. Their spirit is dead to God. And yet, they still have to try to cope with life, and the main part of who they are is not physical. We understand that you're, you know, still attached to your body. You haven't had the circumcision made without hand of Colossians 2, the the cutting away of the soul from the, from the body so that you can be victorious. We understand that. But in a practical sense, we have to understand that, and we're using the term soul health as a forest picture, not a tree. We're not going to try to divide between spirit and soul. We're not going to necessarily divide between uh, our, our mind and our heart and our emotions and our will. We're looking at the whole being. Psalm 42.1, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. What, a, what an amazing thing the Bible gives us in Scripture. The Bible is primarily an outdoor book. That's because life has lived primarily outdoors, especially in days gone by, and no, no doubt it, it may come to that again. But very few people just live within the confines of a, an apartment or a house. Uh, they, you go outdoors. I mean, most of you who work, most of us, whatever you do, you go from one place to another. Now, I know, I know, you've got so many technological, uh, legal, medical trades that work indoors. I get that. But life was started outdoors. Life was lived outdoors. And to understand God, you need to be familiar with the outdoors. You don't have to spend your time as an outdoors person, outdoorsman, but you, you, you need to remember that the illustrations are there. Why are those illustrations so powerful? This is just a little parenthesis right here for a minute. 
The illustrations are so powerful because they supersede, they pass all generations. So from the time Adam and Eve were in the garden, we don't know how long they were in the garden. We know that since they were put out of the garden, okay, that it has been approximately 6,000 years. We know that by going back in the genealogies God gave us, tracing back the Old Testament, tracing forward the New Testament. <coughs> we know that, okay? And what I know is, from reading my Bible, is the outdoor illustrations have been applicable from the very first day, okay? Uh, God would not have been able to write, not that he can't, but we couldn't have understood. God would not have been able to communicate to us uh, the idea of what it's like to live, say, in a house or what it's like to do surgery, uh, open heart surgery, and, and now, you know, arthroscopic surgery and, and all those kind of surgery. We wouldn't, they wouldn't have understood that uh, 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago. 200 years ago. So the Bible is the most amazing book because it is written ageless. We can always understand the illustration of the Bible because there will always be an outdoors. And you ought to get outdoors when you can. Every chance you get, not to go out and worship it and make some kind of idol or some hobby of it, but to get out there and be able to understand how God made things to work. He made things to grow he didn't create manufacturing for the sake of manufacturing. Manufacturing is honestly, it's a, a matter of convenience, which you are willing to pay for, which makes money for the people who invented the thing and produce it. It's real simple. Agriculture, horticulture, husbandry are wonderful things to become aware of. So the picture in verse 1 is, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, right? So panteth my soul after thee, O God. When you see an animal that's thirsty, you know, and, and hey, I know they don't give God any glory, but you can praise God for the National Geographic because they have literally uh, made God's creation to prove that God had to have made it with all its intricacies and even with its curse. So the picture is that my soul, I pointed out this to you before. I'm going to point it out again because we only have two points to, in this lesson. <clears throat> but I, my soul, I've got that circle. The, the next verse, my soul thirsteth for God. So the picture is a, a thirsting, uh, a hungering in other places. Okay? And so my, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, they must have the water. So much so that even though there's dangers at a lot of watering holes, and as I was saying about National Geographic, you know, they you see the films and the photos and the, uh, from, say, Africa and these places where there's so much uh, balance between predator and prey. And so the heart, a heart is a deer. It's not just a deer like the American, uh, North American uh, white-tailed deer. So that's why that word heart is the best word for it, is it encompasses all those kind of creatures. See, your Bible's amazing. Your King James Bible is superior. Oh, I know, I know. Somebody will say, well, how can you say that? Well, how can you say that some knucklehead sitting in an office somewhere telling you that something should be retranslated after a whole group of men translated it together, then swapped uh, manuscripts, you might say, and checked each other's work? 
How could you say that, that you know better looking into a strong concordance or looking into a Nestle's Greek New Testament? How could you say that? And that's not what we're talking about today, but it, it's just, it's absurd. Heart is the right word. It encompasses so many different kinds of animals. So it makes the Bible, the King James Bible, a universal book. You could take it anywhere in the world and find an equivalent for what a heart is. See, when they try to say, well, this word means exactly, and they try to make it down to one certain animal, they lost the revelation that God gave 400 years ago. 400 years ago, God said, I'm going to write this book so it can be, you know, cover a great range of cultures, a great range of geography. Well, that wasn't in the notes, but it's good. All right, so my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When you desire God, you're on the right track. I know now that I desired God before I knew what I was desiring. I can remember as a young person, I used to say to my dad, one day I will find something that I can give my entire self to. I didn't know it was the Lord God. I didn't know it was the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was younger, I thought, well, maybe it's going to be practicing veterinary medicine, okay? Or maybe it'd be science, or maybe it mean marine biology, you know, and Jacques Cousteau and all that. Maybe that's what I need to pour myself into. When I learned golf, for example, I thought, well, maybe that's what I need to pour myself into. And then God just went ahead, thankfully, and just put it in front of me and put a giant billboard in a town, but no stoplight at the time, a big old giant billboard that said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I found it. He, you say, well, he found you. That's true, but I found it. I was looking. You know, I'm amazed sometimes that people just, hey, they have to contradict just normal everyday saying. Someone says, I'm so glad I found the Lord. Well, he found you. It's both. Did you not read in John 1 that they were looking for the Messiah but didn't know where to look? So the Messiah found them and they found the Messiah. I mean, it's, it's why divide stuff up all the time? Divide the things that need dividing. Divide the things that matter. So, verse 3, My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. So there's times that you're literally pouring out your soul with, within yourself. You're, you're, you don't know. And, and this is sometimes, before you know God, this is the searching part. But then after you know him, this is the searching part that helps us to know him more. If after all he had been through, when Paul wrote in Philippians, that I may know him, we know that he was saved. We know that he knew the Lord. And yet he said that I may know him. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you know what Paul meant by that. That's what's pretty interesting. <laughs> when I remember these things, I pour out my soul. I've got it circled. Okay. In me, for I had gone with the multitude, I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Now the great picture is a time, say, of victory, uh, a time of, you know, elation. Uh, what's about to follow is, he says, why art thou cast down, O my soul? So it's like a time of elation and victory and blessing. I went with them, you know, multitude. I went with them to the house of God. You know, you're, you say you go to a meeting and it's just a great meeting. 
And then you find yourself, verse 5, he says, Why art thou cast down on my soul? You know, it, it's a normal thing. Do you remember Elijah? Elijah had one of the greatest victories of any individual. I mean, not only did, he, did God bear witness in front of all those prophets of Baal and, and priests, but he executed them. God's people, at least for a little while, were right with him. And then what? Then he got down. He got down. All kind of reasons. I am amazed. I am amazed that anybody could read their Bible even one time through, but several times through, and think that they can figure out all the, all the ways in which David was wrong to get down by this is uh, amazing to me. Uh, Elijah getting down. They've, they've documented that people say who go to the Olympics, the gold medal win winners, they face a dangerous time, inner time, after all those years of working at it and they get, say, a gold medal. Now, you could understand it after a defeat, they fall short. But after they win, uh, you take all the hoopla of a wedding and everything, and then the family has the, the husband and wife, the bride, groom and the bride, got to settle down to life. And that's why sometimes it, it seems like such a huge difference for them. You take graduating, graduating from high school, graduating from college, whatever, any kind of big event. Many times in a big event, there's a high and then there's a low. We call it what? Call it a downtime, don't we? Verse 5, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O God, O my God, my soul, there it is again if you want to mark it. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites from the hill Miser. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves, all thy billows are gone over me. He's saying it just feels like it's literally rolling, life is rolling over me. If you've ever had a chance to get out to the ocean and you get out there where there's some real waves, if you misjudge them, <laughs> it'll roll over you. Long story short, one time I decided to rent a surfboard on the east coast of of Oz and try surfing and I wondered why nobody was out there and it beat me to I mean I had sand burns I, I was hurt when I got done I wondered it didn't kill me pick up the paper the next day they still did newspapers in those days and found out that there was a cyclone off the coast and that those were the most dangerous waves they'd had all season and that told me that I needed to be a better judge of the surf <laughs> I didn't try that again What's the picture? Gone over me. Verse 7. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness. Now watch. In the daytime and in the night His song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. So many times what we're suffering the most from is something inwardly. You know, some people want to live a high-pitched life. That all Right now, all these daredevils, all the adventure people, you know, all the, the skydiving and the wingsuits and all the stuff and all the the high diving, all that stuff, you know, all that adrenaline stuff, all those adrenaline challenges. Prayer is much more than some high-pitched thing. You know, when I first got saved, one of the groups I was around was, they would sell a lot of John R. Rice's book, and he had one called At Prayer, Prayer, Asking and Receiving. It was a nice little book, but there's more to it than that, friend. There's way more to it than that. And so this thing of soul health, I... I believe you got to get it if you're going to make it, especially through any kind of spiritual battles.
Now, Easterners, I'm talking about the Far East, like, you know, when you get over there in Japan and, and uh, the Philippines and Easterners who are connected to Shem. There's Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is the Easterner. Ham is the continent of Africa. Japheth is the European. The, the Easterners, they know this. Now, sadly, they don't know God. They don't know the Lord, but they know that your soul being in health is what matters. Okay? One of our other verses we, we touched on the first two times, and I know you've got it written down if, you, if this is not your first time, but if it is, it's in 3 John, so you ought to write it down. It's 3 John, and the verse that's the most is verse 2, but it's verses 1 to 4. Okay? And in 1 John... Verses 1 to 4, 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 1 to 4, okay? He said, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So soul health is far more important. It's, it's like the foundation. It's the measuring of the rest of us. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. We're going to mention that here in a few minutes. Again, Easterners know that it's, it's the in, internal that matters the most. We don't experience that modeled very much or demonstrated very much here in, for example, in the Western world, in the United States of America. They know it's inwardly, but they don't know who it is. As a Christian, we do. But we're surrounded by, say, amusement. The word amusement merely means, A, at the beginning, meaning not. Okay? Amusement. Without musing. Musing is to think, to consider. While I was musing, David said, the fire burned. Amusement's an escape. So is entertainment. Now listen, laughter is healthy. It is. But even in laughter, there's sorrow, Ecclesiastes tells us. And laughter is only really healthy to a child of God if the stimulus that makes you laugh is healthy. Music is, he is healthy if the music itself is healthy. So two points for today on this thing of soul health. Now, much of what I'm trying to get across in, in these sessions, these messages, is the core of what God put in his book to help us stay healthy in our soul. And it may help us to be healthy physically too, as he said in 3 John, he wishes we would be, but it's even more important when we're not. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Point one, the word of God is there to help us with the warfare against the soul. We've mentioned this before in 1 Peter chapter 2, and I trust you'll either turn there or if you already have it memorized, I hope that's what I encourage you to do. But 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11, this is a key verse to have in your thinking, to have in your Christian philosophy, to have in your mindset. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, I'm going to tell you this. You might think, oh, I've heard this verse, it's old hat. Then I guarantee you, your soul health fluctuates a lot. I will guarantee it. 
Because without understanding this thing constantly, your soul health, you're going to be up and down. And many days are going to be determined by how you feel physically. Many days are going to be determined by how you feel about the future. Because, because the issue for us, this is so important, okay? And we'll develop this in the second point. But the issue with us is how to deal with those things that are going to happen constantly. I don't believe that we have to wake up every morning and feel like we got to get started all over again. I just don't believe that. I respect fellows who teach it and talk about it all the time. I, re- I heard a fellow, I really respect him. I heard him talk about, uh, you know, that going to bed at night is as if you, you know, took off your, your let's say you're law enforcement or military. You took off your webbing belt and you took off your vest uh, and you go to bed and you got to get the next morning and put it on. I don't believe spiritually that's how God made life. I don't, I don't ever see where he said, put it off, put the armor off in Ephesians 6. He says, put it on. The armor of God is something you need to wear to bed. Amen. It's not physical and outward. I believe with all my heart, he said he'll guide them in the night, in the night seasons and all the day long. I believe that with all of my soul. Uh, I believed it before I got to experience it, but I experience it frequently. I experience it more than the times that I don't. And, and the reason I say that is because God wants to help us with that. <clears throat> Look at verse 8 of our text, Psalm 42. Yet the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. Well, we might get that. When I can think, when I can remember, da-da-da. But look. And in the night His song shall be with me, my prayer unto the God of my life. I believe with all my heart God wants to be in our thoughts even when we're asleep. That doesn't mean that you may have a a different experience, but I have experienced that the majority of the time that I retire at night with a little bit of prayer, either a verse or a hymn in my mind, it will go with me through the night more so. And I, I can't remember. Now wait, hear me out, the whole statement, the whole paragraph. I cannot remember the last time that I woke up, didn't feel like I loved God, didn't feel like, I can't. I can remember, I, I know I've woken up and been fearful of something, some impending trial, uh, fearful of some impending assault upon one's heart or mind or character or, or one needs that needs to be met timing wise. I, can, I know that. But you see, that's different than my soul being disquieted because he said, why art thou disquieted, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. He says the same thing where? In verse 11. Okay. <clears throat> and he says the same thing in verse 5 of the next chapter, of the next Psalm 43. So the word of God is there to help us with this warfare. 1 Peter 2.11, beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Okay, so how does that apply to us? Well, a stranger is someone that's living in a place or traveling in a place where they aren't from, where they don't belong, you might say. That would be us, wouldn't it? A pilgrim is someone who's in a strange place and on their way to somewhere else. That would be us. What wars against the soul? The fleshly lusts war against the soul. And we will not go into it at this point, but I will say this. 
readily, I will say that the three battlefronts of the child of God, the world, the flesh, and the devil, have very clear corresponding parts. So the part that wars against our soul as such, okay, is the flesh. And the defeating of the flesh is through the power of the Holy Spirit. All you got to do is read Romans 8, you know, Galatians 5, etc., etc., and we know this. So the word is there for it. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts 14. I'm going to elaborate on this verse a little bit. It, it's just a simple verse, so to speak. But it is, it is a mouthful. And it is a description, you might say, of Paul's ministry purpose, of Paul's ministry aims. Now, Paul preached the gospel. He preached it so people would come to Christ and everything. But if you'll follow through his epistles and through the book of Acts, if you'll follow what he did, if you follow what he spent his time doing, uh, what he, if you follow uh, how much effort he went into, you'll find that the majority of his effort was for believers. And the reason was he knew they needed to get confirmed in chapter 14, verse 22. Now, listen, Catholicism, Anglicanism, Orthodox, all that, they use the term and process called confirmation. Don't throw that principle away because they misused it. The devil loves to do that to you. The devil loves to get you to veer away from something because somebody misused it. No, use it the right way because God gave it. What did Paul spend his time doing? Well, in verse 19 of chapter 14, there came certain hither, thither, <laughs> certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he'd been dead. Howbeit, as a disciple stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. By the way, uh, if you've been saved 10, 20, 30 years, you need this probably more than the new converts that might be listening. You might tell yourself you don't, but you do. You know why you need it? Because this is the foundation of a daily walk with Christ and a victory inside. Oh, you're not going to miss church. You're going to go to church. And if you're in, in leadership, you're going to do your, your work and do your stuff and all that. But you're going to do that whether you're getting victory or not. This helps with that so that our soul can be so strong that it affects the rest of us. So watch what he does. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about, about him, he rose up, came into the city. Next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. Well, that's comma there. The, the next statement goes with it. What were they doing? Why did they repeat where they had been and go back? Confirming the souls of the disciples. Why don't you mark that? Confirming the souls of the disciples. What are they doing? Well, we know they're saved. They're giving them soul strength. They want to give them soul health. They're confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. He is not teaching them that the way you get to heaven is through enduring much tribulation. No. He's saying that from here to heaven, you're going to cross a bunch of rivers and a bunch of wildernesses and a bunch of valleys uh, called tribulation, trouble, trials. And so 
it says in verse 23, when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed for fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So the picture, the picture is he wanted them to be able to continue in the faith. In 3 John, we notice in verses 3 and 4, he said, there's no greater joy than to know that you walk in the truth. What is your truth? Okay. You say, oh, oh, you're dangerous. You're saying my truth is the truth. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And that is, that's, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to show you. You might have been saved 10, 20, 30 years or more. And you've still got some so-called truths in your mind that are not the truth. They're your little sayings that you think have been ratified, confirmed, etc. through your experience. But they're not the truth. Your truth doesn't make it truth. But your truth will rule your soul for the most part until you get the right truth in there. If you have trouble trusting people, I'm not, now, now hear me out, I'm not talking about letting somebody take advantage of you necessarily, but our Savior did. Our Savior reached out no matter what. The Apostle Paul reached out no matter what. If you're having trouble with that, your truth is probably twisted. And what you think is the truth is your truth, but your truth isn't the truth. Not even a play on words. Okay? In Acts 14, 22, he said, We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. My phrase was always to the fellows, I'd say, Cheer up, fellows, it'll get worse. And most time it did. Most time it did. It got tougher. Why the Navy SEALs say the only easy day was yesterday. I know you don't want to hear that. I get it. But it's the truth. Every every one of the old men of God that I got to know personally that have gone on to heaven. It was not easy sailing to the end. It was steady conflict right to the end. And that's what made them who they were. Soldiers of Jesus Christ. Now, the biggest tests of faith may be yet ahead of you or of me, even at our, at, at our age of... <laughs> 50, 60, 70, our age of 70, it, it, it it's really could be ahead of you. The Word of God is there to help us with this warfare against the soul. So, well, I knew that. Okay, well, point number two is real important. The Psalms are meant, as in intended, the Psalms are meant to give us soul talk. That is not weird. That is not new age. A soul talk is not something that's, you know, Ooh, it's all spooky and stuff. No, it's actually pretty normal. In fact, if you don't learn to talk to your soul right, you'll talk to your soul wrong or someone else will. Some spirit, some voice. You know, <clears throat> we shouldn't find it strange. Come to the New Testament, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. I'm just going to give you an example. The book of Psalms, okay? The book of Psalms is an amazing book. And I'm going to encourage you to do something. I'm going to encourage you to read it through each month for a little while. Now, for years I've done it. Read it through every month. Uh, five Psalms a morning. It takes nothing to do it. And it is so powerful. And it will reach us, especially when our mind is a little bit fuzzy or things are trying to push their way into our minds. And Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Wouldn't that be a blessing? Verse above it, <laughs> Redeeming the time because the days are evil. These are all great admonition verses, aren't they? 
And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit, semicolon. The thought continues. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The sentence continues. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. See where that psalms comes in and those songs? The psalms are meant and intended to give us soul talk. I will tell you, you will be up and down in your soul if you listen to this modern Christian music. Uh, if you get to hold of that Christian music that's happened in the last 20 or 30 years, or even say last mm, 50 years, it's going to mess you up. You know, they thought it was great. It was great the hundreds and thousands of people that got saved during the so-called, you know, Jesus movement and people were really preaching the gospel. But they thought they would bridge the gap and make their own music in the modern tense for God. You and I cannot take upon us the presumption, as in presumptuous sins that David asked God to keep him from. We cannot be presumptuous with God with our creativity. We must be very, very, very careful because it appeals to pride. I'm going to really encourage you to read the book of Psalms and where you see my soul and soul, circle it, pencil, or a highlighter. Highlighter, as you get older, it's not as easy to draw a straight line or good circles. You could, highlighters work great. But I'm going to encourage you to do it for months. I mean, six months, maybe, six to 12. If it's the first, you read 1, 31, 61, 91, 121. Okay? David was, David and the rest of the psalmist often starts. They start off with something that, that their soul is down. A companion ca passage to Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to jot it down, is Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, etc. Many times those psalms will start off kind of down. And then through the psalm it starts heads towards the surface, like, you know, you're underwater and, and you're heading to the surface and you get up there and you get your Mouth above the waves and get a big old breath. Amen. I remember one time, a few times, we would go out in the ocean. Not the protected waters, the ocean snorkeling. So we could, uh, you know, Phil and I, we'd go out there and we'd, we'd see the stingrays. And the, every now and then you'd get to see a manta ray and you'd see some big old fish. And you get out there in 15, 20, 30 feet of water. It was still pretty clear. It was clearest in the winter. So you just brave it. Didn't have a wetsuit at the time, just brave it. But you'd get so focused on what's down there and you'd be floating on the surface, breathing through your snorkel. And if you didn't feel the difference in the, between the swell and the wave, one of those waves would come crashing over you and it would take the water, that salt water, and shove it down that snorkel into your belly as fast as can be. And do you know what they use to induce vomiting if you've eaten or drank something you shouldn't? They use warm salt water. <laughs> salt water <clears throat> and I can attest that it can have that effect upon you even out in the ocean one afternoon getting towards evening it was super low tide in the passage and I decided to take my net and go out there alone and just throw it on stuff and so I threw it over a few fish and turned them loose and then I got in an area where there was just I mean as far as you can see was stingrays big ones and I'd go up there and 
you know, throw it over him like you're roping calves, okay? It was catch and release. And you'd pull him in and look at him and everything, then turn him loose do it. And time just got away. And I didn't notice it. it. That water got deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm pretty way out there on a sandbar. Then I realized, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And to get back, even when I let my cast net out as far as it would go, the, the lead line out, it still wasn't touching bottom because I thought I could take my little backpack filled with air, turn on my back, put my head on it, and let it float my head a little bit and pull the net, but I couldn't. So I had this cast net, which has a bunch of leads around the bottom, and it's trying to pull me down, and I'm trying to swim with it. And I went down a couple of times, like real bad, took on a bunch of water. I'm not even sure why I didn't give up because it was a struggle. I got to shore, and of course the salt water had it induced its effect on me. And so I'm on my hands and knees getting rid of the salt water. And a fellow walks by and he looks, doesn't even slow down. He just looks by and he looks down. He goes, having a rough day, mate. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you could say that. You know, that can happen to your soul, to our souls. <clears throat> Sometimes you're just overwhelmed by something. It could be something that's been put on you. Uh, very few of us have ever endured what happened to Job, for example, or Joseph. But we can have our own proportionate trials, troubles, and temptations. And they do come our way. John 14, 26 is a verse I'd really encourage you to mark. And by the way, I'm going to give you read off some verses here in a minute on the idea of being overwhelmed, overwhelmed. It's okay to get overwhelmed. It's all right. As long as we don't stay overwhelmed. John 14 and verse 26, I'm encourage you to memorize it, but I'm encourage you to claim it. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Now, you're not going to get to sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we have his word. And so when we read his word, I, I've done this for 40 years, I guess. I've, I claim this verse when I'm reading the Bible. I claim it all the time. I claim it if I'm trying to deal, do personal work, talk to somebody. Lord, bring it back to my remembrance. And I can't tell you how many times God has done that. But for your soul health, he, we really need it. For our soul health, we really need to know that this book is working through us. It has all kind of, all kind of characteristics. I'm not going to list them right now. I'm trying to do the forest and not the trees. You can add in the trees and plant them in this forest. Psalm 11. Psalm 11, let's, let's look at it, please. Psalm 11, I want to add this. These truths, for example. You say, well, what is soul health? Soul health is when something is bombarding our thoughts, our minds, our soul, our spirit, our emotions, and we've got, we want to be able to deal with them in God. Psalm 11, verses 1, 2, 3, if you're writing it down. In the Lord put I my trust. Now watch. How say ye to my soul? There's that phrase. I've got it circled. Flee as a bird to your mountain. Now, have you ever heard about fight or flee? Sometimes they'll make them rhyme fight or flight. 
Okay? Life is pretty much fight or flee. Fight or flight. But I want to say to you, there is an alternative that's available to the child of God that God wants us to take. So, in your mind, it's like, and the Lord put on my trust, how say ye to my soul? Who, who, ever anything, any voice you hear, any thought that comes charging in, flee as a bird of the mountain. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. You know, bows are almost silent. And they're a very effective way to get something in, a fiery dart into you. Now watch. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what do we do? We maintain it. We maintain it. What is the alternative to fight or flee, fight or flight? It's called faith. It's not fight. It's not flee. It's faith in God. Not just faith, but faith in God. I don't know if you ever had to do the kind of work that's, it can be really demanding can be hard physically, it can be hard technically and stuff, and you come towards the end of a day and you've even worked overtime and you still don't have it solved, and what happens? You've got to let it go until in the morning, right? And so the idea is I've got to lay this thing down. I had a boss that would say, let's, let's call it a day. It'll look better or it'll look different in the morning. Psalm 127. Last verse we'll turn to, Psalm 127. Psalm 127. This is a verse, uh, I have this verse embedded in my mind on purpose, Psalm 127. Let's read verse 1 and 2. Verse 2 is the one that I want to leave in your mind. Verse 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You get the picture? If the Lord don't build it, no matter how hard you build, no matter how good a builder you are, ain't going to work. And it doesn't matter how much protection you got, security, armament, etc. If God don't keep it, it ain't going to be kept. Verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early. Now, I'm not. he's not talking about just a regular early morning. He's talking about trying to get up early because you just got to get the edge. Watch. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Okay? For so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I went, I've gotten by for years and years and years on like four hours sleep for years. And then one year I was traveling between continents and I got sick, run down sick and got double pneumonia. <coughs> And to beat that thing, by God's grace, I got grounded for a while, couldn't travel, uh, away from home, got back. I went to a doctor and I said, look, we did the x-ray. He said, everything's fine. He said, talk to me about your schedule. So I started telling him, he said, that's the problem. He said, for whatever reason, he said, you're going to get to the point now where if you don't get a basic amount of sleep, you don't make yourself do it, your body is going to suffer in your lung area. There's no scarring. There's no nothing. But it, it, it's like clockwork. I won't, I'll even forget I did it. No more burning through a whole night without sleep. No more burning on four and five hours without repercussion. Though the outward man perish, the inward man's renewed day by day. So watch this. He giveth his beloved sleep. Doesn't mean don't, you know, 
play some kind of music and if you have to take something, I hope you take something natural. When I was a child, a young person, they had these commercials, this will tell you how long ago that was, that would say, it was a little ditty that said, take Salmonex tonight and sleep, safe and restful, sleep, sleep, sleep. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit. But take Salmonex tonight and sleep, safe and restful. And I was like, who could possibly have trouble sleeping? I'd be up through daylight and feed horses, clean out a few stalls. I'd go to school. I'd come home and they'd stick a horse lead in my hand, walk them, or I'd pick out the stalls or whatever. Then I had to do my homework. When it was time to fall asleep, I fell asleep. Sometimes I'd fall asleep before it was time to fall asleep. Amen. But then life went on. And then life takes on its own set of burdens, right? And then maybe your body changes and stuff. I heard a fellow who's a, he's a multi-billionaire and stuff, runs a huge company, many huge companies. And they were doing a survey of different executives. They asked him, how much do you sleep? He said, I, I have a goal of sleeping eight hours every night. You know, you'd think, you know, these switched on guys. And they said, really? He goes, yeah. He said, because I make decisions and I have to be at my best. He said, here's the thing. He said, I don't make a bunch of everyday decisions, little decisions. He said, in fact, the reason I've got to stay at my best is when I make a decision, it's usually a very big decision and it affects hundreds of people and investors, etc. So instead of working himself to death and stay, getting up early and staying up late, he moderates it. Moderates it. What's the point? Would you give the Psalms a chance to help you? I, I cannot count. There's no way I could count. I could flip through this particular copy of, of my Bible, my King James Bible, I've been reading for a little while, uh, and, and my others, and I, by verse after verse after verse in Psalms, there'll be a date there. And what that date represents is that date represents a time when that verse helped me. Unlimited markings. I can't tell you how many. And I would say to you, I would say this, give it a chance. This is about us having healthier souls. I don't know about you. I want my soul to be strong and in health all the time. And if there's some ways or habits I have or, or even neglects I have, I want to get better at that for the Lord. I want to know the Lord more. And I want to have a whole different way of having my soul health. And then it'll affect the rest of my life. Well, thank you for your time. Father, we pray you use these thoughts. I pray it would help somebody. Lord, we may not know between, I may not know between here and eternity, but I do pray it would help some soul, some believer. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. God bless you.